Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Huh? One, two. All right, three, two, one. Nobody likes a good underdog story more than me, your host, Fred Van Vliet. Welcome to Bet on Yourself, a podcast about diverse entrepreneurs overcoming obstacles on their way to building businesses designed not just to survive, but to thrive in today's rapidly changing world. With me, as always, is my co host and my business advisor, Derek Folk, COO of Folk Williams Financial Management. What's going on, D? Excited to be here. How are you? Man, glad to have you. Our guest today goes by the name of Gaetan Verna. Is that right? Well, Gaetan Verna. There, she said it way better than me. <laughs> she's our guest today, and the work that she's done is uh, world-renowned. But walk across the road from the power plant, where she's the director of this art gallery, and most people couldn't tell you the power from the plant. So let me fill you in. The Power Plant is Canada's leading non-collecting public art gallery dedicated exclusively to contemporary visual art from Canada and the world. Yes, leading public art gallery. She wants to take it from global to local and back again. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Nice to be here. Yeah, we're happy to have you. I'm sorry I butchered your name like that. Um, So tell us a little bit more about yourself and um, how you got started Um, with the power plant? So um, I come from a family of six. My parents were from Haiti. They left in the 1960s under, you know, they had to exile themselves. And um, then they moved to the Congo and I was born there. And then I moved to Montreal when I was about two and a half. So I hail from Montreal, you know, uh, through the great divide of our lives and uh, raised in Montreal, a family where my dad was a doctor, my mom was a teacher, but art was really important, you know, school, sports, all of it was really important. And um, as a child, I was thinking that I wanted to do um, more administration because I, I, you know, I danced ballet and played classical music, but I knew that I was not, you know, the artist. But I thought it'd be really important to have people who can make choices, informed choices to support artists and then share their artworks with the general public. So um, that's kind of my personal story. And then, you know, I studied uh, arts and administration and then also lived in Paris for eight years where I did art history. And then when I came back to Canada, I first worked um, at a university art gallery at Bishop's University and then Musée d'Art de Joliette, which is uh, in Joliette, Quebec, and then came to the power plant now, nine and a half years ago, landed in Toronto. Wow. So a lot of, a lot of experience along the way. Yes. So talk to us a little bit more about your, um, your history in, in art. You said growing up that it was a big part of your childhood growing up. Can you talk to us about that? Well, my parents met uh, when they were part of a choir in Haiti. Mm. And, um, and for them, art 
poetry was really, really important. And so everyone in the family played a musical instrument and everybody did ballet. Even my brother, you know, at that time did ballet classes. <laughs> and now, you know, he teaches yoga and also does hip hop. So, you know, he took it from, from the parents. Um, and art was always something that Uh, though my parents maybe did not have the time for themselves to do it, they made sure that they would pack the five kids off to go to the museum or to go listen to concerts and stuff like that. So very much this idea that we should feel comfortable in any Uh, environment. environment in yes. which we find ourselves so that there's never that this is my culture, this is not my culture. So that's something for me is very important in the way that I see my, my work at the power plant and being at the service of many stakeholders. It's not, it's to break silos and open the space to many people. So for our audience and, and people who are listening who um, may not be so familiar, tell us a little bit more about the power plant. So the power plant, um, it's part of Harborfront Center. And then in 1987, they decided to take this old power plant station and transformed it into uh, what in the jargon of our field, a Kunsthalle, which is like an exhibition center. So what's, the reason that's important is because most museums, we're basically a museum without a collection. So we show exhibitions, but we don't acquire them. And so the life of the exhibition is really while you have the exhibition, and then the works go back to the artists or to private collectors. So there's this, this idea of being temporary that's very important in our ability to be nimble, in our ability to stay up to date to what's happening in the art world and not to be, I would say, um, bogged down by the weight of the collection, even though collections are really important, but it's a different rhythm of an organization when you have a museum with collection and when you have a museum without collections. So that's what differentiates the power plant from an art gallery of Ontario or a ROM or a university art uh, gallery. And then I would say the other thing is the, the location of the power plant. For most of my, let's say, artists that, that come Most people outside of Toronto, when they come, they go, oh, what a beautiful space because we're by the water. But then you talk to, let's say, certain Toronto people, they'll go, oh, the gardener. It's a barrier. Yeah. <laughs> Getting there is so complicated. Yeah, right. And so it's interesting to see those different perspectives from people who live in, in the town and people who don't live in the town. And um, so we do... You know, on a yearly basis, we have three seasons of programs, and sometimes we can dedicate the entire um, um, exhibition space to one artist, and sometimes we'll do two or three uh, exhibitions. And then um, we also do a lot of education and public programs for different groups, um, different age groups. But again, I think for me, it's always this idea of being nimble, of being very authentic, um, We're also free, so we want to remove all barriers. Mm. But also, while I say this, I still understand that even if you're free and you say come, it doesn't mean people will come, mm, right? right? And so um, what I find interesting is that, you know, um, wherever I travel for my work, if I go to an art gallery in Dubai and I say I'm the power plant, they know 
that it's Canadian, it's in Toronto, it's the power plant. Even if they haven't been physically in the space, they will know it. They know it. But then if I'm in a in a in a cab and I see the power plant, yeah. they might not know. <laughs> and wow. then this week I was doing uh, I was part of this this barbecue for a, a group of young black businessmen called um Uh, the Black Wealth Club. Mm -hmm. And then I was introducing myself because I had done a presentation to the group. And one of the, the, the person there, five minutes after he came back, he said, you know, I'm so sorry when you introduced yourself and you said the power plant, I thought you were actually running a power <laughs> plant. And he goes, I didn't get that it was an art gallery, yeah. which again shows you that there's still, though the brand has, you know, we, we do extraordinary um Exhibitions. I'll give you an example that positions it is that in 2019, we showed the work of an artist called Thomas J. Price. And he's a British black artist whose practice has been about the, the, the lack of representation of black figures in monumental sculpture. So he's been working on this for about 10 years. And we invited him to do an exhibition at the power plant. And on the south side of the power plant, uh, right facing the water, we installed these massive, beautiful uh, heads. His work is composite images of black men. Mm -hmm. That's it. So it's not one person. And it so happens that Uh, summer 19, right, um, right after you guys won, mm -hmm. people would see, so there was a sculpture that was nine foot tall and it's called The Reveal and mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, it's a composite image of a black man in his sports uh, clothes and he's just like taking down his hoodie, right? But you, it's just in between. The number of people said, okay, which raptor is that? And we're like, <laughs> no, it's not. And, and we, what we meant to say all the time It's not one person, it's, it's a person, right? A person. And what this showed to me was that people, and everybody took pictures in front of Thomas's work. Everyone, black, white, no matter. It was, it was a movement of people feeling. And it also showed me that the, you know, the people that are in, who, who have the power, keep telling us that, you know, people are not ready for one part of art. or And it's not true because people connect with it and people want to see themselves. And the one thing I would say about Thomas's work is that we fast track to, you know, the murder of George Floyd and we fast track to Black Lives Matter and all the toppling of statues. Mm. So his work was... You know, he had been thinking of something mm -hmm. that was underlying. Right. And then my job was to see it, to think that it was relevant, to give to give him the space to do it, to share it with people. And then suddenly it's like history, repeat, you know, um, catches up on us. And then the work of the artist is is relevant. And um, right now, as we speak, uh, there's an exhibition at the Art Gallery of Ontario Um, called Fragments of Epic Memory. And um, within that show, they've integrated a sculpture of Thomas, which is outside on the corner of Dundas and McCall, you know. And it's very interesting because, of course, more people will see it at the AGO than they saw it at the power plant. But I don't have a problem with this because I've shared with my colleague, Dr. Julie Crooks, at the AGO 
the work. She knew it. And now we're sharing it w to another group of people. Mm -hmm. right. And then the great thing about this whole story is that since then, Thomas was just signed in, I think, in July or August uh, 2021 with Hauser & Wirth, which is one of the biggest galleries in the world. Wow. And so for me, that I trusted my vision, his work, we presented it. And now a few years later, he's with the top global gallery. You know, this is the story that yes. if people followed or came to see what we do, they get um, they get to see what could or what will happen. Right. And I'm not saying that every time we get it right or every time the person jumps to stardom, but that's also the risk you take and the journey that I would like people to engage with us. Well, I think wow. that's part of the art business, right, is art is individual, right? So each one of us sees something different. So as an artistic director, talk to you are the artistic director, yes. correct? So talk to us a little bit about um, the types of artists. You mentioned one artist, but tell us about the other artists and, and how, because we want to understand how we're going to make this a popular art gallery, the yes. power plant, localized. So what I feel is that I always try to say that I want people to frequent the space, to come, come back. And sometimes you're going to see an artwork that you really love. And sometimes you'll go, well, this is really not my cup of tea. But that you don't feel that every time you go to the power plant that it's always the same type of art. And so for me, as a non-collecting institution, there needs to be diversity at all levels. Diversity in the staff, diversity in the board, diversity in the artists. And also when we say international, for too long, international meant Europe or the U.S. And for us, international is showing artists who actually live in Egypt, who lived in Senegal, who lives in Mexico, who lives you know, in France, in Germany, in Canada also, this global planet in which we are all part of. And so to give you an example, um, in a few weeks, we're going to be opening the exhibition of an artist called Miriam Khan, who's a 72-year-old um, Swiss artist. And um, She's very much interested in women issues. She's very much interested in the question of refugees because her parents, her grandmother and her father in the 1930s became refugees from Germany to Switzerland. Mm. And she always says that she's alive because they were able to be refugees. And so she's very sensitive to this global phenomena of refugees now and very critical of the lack of empathy of a lot of European um, you know, in um, countries towards the, the, the plight of refugees. So in her work, you know, she's a white woman, she's Swiss, she's in her, uh, her early 70s. So you will see, she talks about, uh, she has a whole series of painting called Me Too, where you have two couples, you know, naked, and the woman is punching the man in the middle <laughs> of the face, which resonates with, I'm sure, a lot of, wow. of people. So that's one form of very, you know, painterly tradition. Then I told you about Thomas. Um, but then I have another uh, another artist called Sasha Uber, um, who is um, Haitian and Swiss. And she's interested in um, a figure of a, of a 19th century glaciologist. His name was uh, Louis Agassiz. So Louis Agassiz is known all around the world. There's lakes and mountains named after him because he was a famous glaciologist. But the other thing that everyone wants to forget is that 
after uh, in the 19th century, he moved to Harvard and was part of these very racist uh, scientists who believed in the divisions of races. And he commissioned um, these daguerreotypes, these photograph, early photograph of a whole family of enslaved people. And those those daguerreotypes are at uh, the Peabody uh, collection at Harvard University and have been used by contemporary artists such as Carrie Mae Weems, you know, to talk about that that story. So one one thing that's interesting, a community group in Switzerland decided that there's a mountain named after Agassiz. And they decided that they wanted to change that name. They no longer want their mountain to be associated with this figure. So this community group started, and then Sasha, as an artist, engaged in this community group, but then she created a whole body of work where she travels around the world, finds lakes and mountains that are named after this man, and does within her artwork, she'll photograph her black body in the same way that the enslaved were photographed Mm. in order to recall, in, in, in order to remove the haunting nature of the name of that individual, but through her artwork and by photographing herself or talking to community leaders, like indigenous communities, to say, did this lake or peak have another name before? Can we at least rename it, you know, as an artistic practice? But also, so you see that as an artistic practice, she's also talking about many uh, real questions that are in our everyday, you know? Mm -hmm. Do you change the name of the Ryerson University because Ryerson represents somebody who started all of the... Uh, the the schools, you know, and that were so detrimental. So there's another form of art. And when you walk into the gallery, you'll see videos, you'll see uh, um, photograph, you'll see uh, sculptures that are all talking about Agassiz. So that's another form of art. And then some other artists, I'm trying to see, um, there's other artists who talk about subjects who who will talk about um, a, a refugee crisis and create a video that is reenacting something that really happened. Uh, this was a German artist, Mario Pfeiffer, who created an artwork where he reenacted the beating of a, uh, a Syrian uh, refugee in a German um, grocery store. And thanks to his artwork, there was more light shone on what happened and all the intricacy of, you know, a real um, a real thing, you know, a real societal uh, question. So I think people's assumption that, you know, contemporary art is just, or art is just about beauty, in every act, there's beauty, right? Because mm. there's the elegance of the movement or what you choose to do. But we're really talking about real issues. And then we we also want to transcend them through uh, enabling our visitors to look at the work, think of it, take it home with them. And in my very humble way, and I know it it sometimes feels like very uh, kumbaya, I really feel that I hope that through the exhibitions and the work of the artists, we actually change the minds of our visitors or help them to think of their world or their actions on an everyday basis. Right. Yeah, Artistic I think that's, expression. Yeah, it's very unique, you know, because what I hear you saying is it's not just the uh, finished product of the art, but it's also what's behind the art. And you, you're using art as a way to promote thinking. That's very good. I like that. Yeah, I love it. We're we're so happy to have you, man. Thanks. Uh, uh, thank you for being here. So I think that um, 
I would like to dive into that a little bit more um, and make and and make it a little more personalized to you mm-hmm. as um, sitting in front of us, a very powerful and accomplished black woman. Um, I would like to hear more about your experience in the art world, which, um, you know, I would imagine is very white by nature. Um, so I would like to hear some of the challenges and some of the things that, that you face, because from what I'm hearing um, with your vision, if we had more strong black woman running art institutes all over the world, we could change more minds, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're doing it. You're already doing it. And, you know, we, we need to see more of that. I have a daughter. Derek has a daughter. So talk to us about some of the um, obstacles, challenges, things that you've been surprised at, um, good and bad, about, you know, being a black woman in the, in the mm-hmm. position that you are now. Um, I would say it's like a loaded question. You know, there's always the the stories that you say, I will never tell because I don't want to be defined by the story. But I I would say that it's for me, what's been really interesting is when, when I tell you that I worked at Bishop's University and at Joliet, those are very homogeneous environments. But I could say that when I was there, the openness of the people, you know, like Bishop's University is in Lenoxville, which is part of Sherbrooke. And, you know, when I first arrived there in 1998, um, as I am the daughter of my mother, I started my own Black History Month, you know, and showed films. <laughs> and then my mom came to visit. She's like, but there's no black people here. Why are you doing this? And I'm like, well, because it's not just about me. It's about them. They need right. to learn, right? And so I would say on the one hand, in those environments outside of the big center, there was n- there was always embrace. It was always like very positive. I mean, there were some people who would ask like a silly question: "Are you the cousin of somebody who's Somalian?" And clearly, if you look <laughs> at my face, I don't look like a Somalian, right? So these these things that you you don't get mad at because you know it's 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 really in um, it's n- there's no malice, you know. So I would say that that but. But one thing that I did realize, you come to Toronto and you're at the power plant and and, and I would say that in essence, you know, uh, innocence is bliss. You don't realize that this is the eyes on the prize. Mm-hmm. This is what everybody wants. And then and then people hire you and then they question if they made the right choice, mm-hmm. even though they hired you. Mm-hmm. And so then you have to dig really deep and you have to first decide that you will show them I mean, it's it's twofold, right? You want you're going to show them that you're actually much better than they are because mm-hmm. you believe and you know and your parents have raised you right. But then the other sense is that you also need to to be equipped to survive so that other people who might be just, you know, want to support you but are not going to like rip their shirt apart to like support you but want to see you having the means to survive in order to support mm-hmm. you. So you've got people who are going to quietly do nothing and wait for you to rise and then support you. Then you're going to have people who will step up and totally support you and not let other people get to you. But in all cases, you have to be strong and you have to to be resourceful. So I would say that, you know, when I I arrived, it wasn't a walk in the park. Um, What I'm always interested in is the adversity made me push myself. So sometimes I wonder, well, if they had all been nice to me, would I have reached the same goal, right? This is Something we never know because never know. it made you who you are. That's it, and and I embrace the challenge because it really. When I think back, 
I'm like, oh my God, would I do this again? I don't know, right? But the one thing I really want to stress is that I've learned so much from so many different people. And though we live in a very polarized, you know, kind of world, I can say that some of my biggest champions, and it might sound crazy, were white guys mm -hmm. who would teach me stuff like, don't justify yourself. Men never justify themselves. He says that all the time. No, but it's, <laughs> I've learned. He says that about black and white, like. Black people, we justify or qualify ourselves, yeah. and other people don't. That's it. And so we all have to stop. Everybody listen to stop. Shout That's out to it. Kippy. Yeah. And this was from my board chair at the Musée d'Art de Joliette, Luc Liard. He said to me, when you're in a board meeting, don't justify yourself. If you have the answer, you give it. If you don't, you say, I'll take a pause, and I'll get back to you. And he says, don't. And he also said that women, he's like, oh, my God, women, you're always justifying yourself. He's <laughs> like, don't. Men never do that. So that life lesson, I learned it from this guy who, for some people, could be at the opposite of my reality. So, and I can tell you that even the board chair that I have now, or the one that I had for five years, and the board that I have at the power plant is culturally diverse. At some times they were mostly white, but the thing is to also work with who wants to work with you and then never forget that you need a whole community, yes. right? So I can have a board that's not that culturally diverse, but then I have community friends in the black communities and all communities and all of them I feel are under my tent and are my support team and um, I also feel that having people of different generation right um, as a leader I think now it's really challenging you know figuring out the 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 Gen Z the Gen X the <laughs> the proverbial um, what's their name millennials Um, understanding. But one thing I must say about the younger generation, oh my God, they hold no prisoners mm -hmm. in a way that <laughs> I would never, you know, like I think my generation, we like try to be under the radar, figure out our way in this world without shocking. But I find that the younger ones, they just They're not afraid to say it and to to cut through the noise and say, no, you're not actually culturally diverse. I'm leaving. I don't like this place. <laughs> and you're like. <laughs> I think what that speaks to, to me, what I see in the world is everybody saying I'm unique and different. Right. And it's okay for me to be unique and different and don't try to fit me into a box because I'm unique and different doesn't mean I think any differently doesn't mean that I don't have great ideas, mm -hmm. but just understand I see the world different. So try to look through my lens. And I like what you said about um, those opportunity areas because I always, I, I spent a lot of time in corporate America where it was only me. I worked in a company where when I walked in, the walls were white and all the people were white. And I always looked at it at moments of, uh, um, at those critical moments. I had to think, like, it's a teaching moment, right? It's an opportunity mm -hmm. for me to say, I'm not going to go where you think I'm going to go. I'm going to elevate the conversation. And I think that's always that teaching moment. And then people, the light bulb goes off like, wow, you're really bright. You already knew it when you walked in the room. That's why we don't have to qualify ourselves. Yeah. As one of those younger people, I would uh, just like to thank, you know, you guys. Uh, I think that. That's it's funny hearing you say that because I, I always tell people like I just feel like we are a product of the work that's been done, 
right? And that's something that we lose in fighting for whatever it is we're fighting for, equality, whatever it is. And so we lose that, like there's still being babies born every day. And like, I grew up in a different time than you, in a different time than you. So some of the things that you experienced growing up, the people in your generation fought so much that I didn't have to experience those things. So it's funny because I am a product of that. And there are conversations that I have that you probably wouldn't have had as a, as a kid. But I think bridging that gap is very important. And that's kind of why we're here today as well, um, to share the platform. We have to keep connecting with each other and keep sharing the ideas, especially in your world, um, where it's much about artistic expression of what's going on in the world around us. And then not only that, how people are digesting that expression because it's it's a relationship between the artist, the art, and whoever's taking the art in. And that's what's kind of um, shaping our minds and, and our worlds around us. So I would, I would just like to ask, um, what do you think, bringing it back to the power plant, what do you think you need to take the power plant to the next vision that you have? We spoke about the success that you've had. Um, I want to keep speaking to that because mm-hmm. it's important to let people know how accomplished and successful you are. Um, but I also want to look ahead and say, okay, what do you need to take it to the next level? What's the next level look like for you and your vision? So the next level has many levels to it. So one, I mean, it's like, you know, that you take an Uber and a cab and you say the power plan and they go, yeah, I'll get you there. Right. Yeah. I don't know how you do that. Right. Um, <laughs> so, ah. <laughs> so, ah. No, but it's true. Now everybody's on an app, but you know, I'm a, that shows my age. <laughs> but so, so for me, that is more about being, you know, for me, success is that even if you don't come to the power plan, you understand its value mm-hmm. and that you're, you want to be in a, in a city or in a society that will support a power plant. You mm-hmm. know, um, when I lived in Juliet, the mayor, it was so funny. He used to say to me, Verna, you know, if I do, if I do a referendum and I say museum or hockey ring, they're all going to go hockey ring. And I would go, <laughs> no, but Mr. Mayor, I want both. Yeah. Even if I don't go to the hockey rink, I would never stand against a hockey rink. Mm. So why do we have to pin, you know, arts and sports against each other? So even somebody doesn't come to the power plant, if somebody wanted to take down the power plant, I need a whole community to say, don't touch my Mm. power plant. For me, that's success, right? Mm -hmm. Whether you come to it or not. And I mean, not to, you know, I don't really watch basketball, Mm -hmm. but I did watch, you know, that the finals, my whole family, the whole city was watching. And I kept asking questions. My daughter's like, okay, really? You don't know anything. Shut up. <laughs> but I was, I, you know, for me, the Raptors are important. The same way I would want the power plant to be important to the city, whether we all go see games or not, mm-hmm. this is part of the fabric. So for me, that's one element of success. And then I would say the other one is that for people to really understand that as an institution, Art is not just about, you know, having cocktails and, and, you know, wearing pretty dresses and being in front of an artwork. That artists work really hard. Artists, I always tell everyone and my children, like, don't become, you only become an artist if that's the only thing you think you can do. Because it has to feed you 
like not everybody becomes successful. Not everybody becomes gets picked up by a big gallery. Many artists, and especially, you know, I would say black artists, you see some that are in their 70s and now are represented by mm. big galleries. But all those years, there was something that a fire burning inside of them that said, this is where I need to be and this is what I need to do, regardless of if anyone else is is really paying attention. Mm. So for me to transmit success is for people to understand the value of artists within our society and to also understand that the the work of a like an artist is only comes alive if we're many stakeholders. So you have to have the artist that has the support system to be an artist, then you have to have the gallery that has this, the ability to seek the artist to present it and then we have to also have empathy and understand that we are, or I see myself as a bridge between the artists and the different stakeholders, which mm-hmm. are our different visitors, our donors, our sponsors. And I would say that luckily in Toronto, there's an incredible community mm-hmm. of patrons, big and small, because to me, it's the big and small. It's not one against the other who believe in the value of art and who want to support the arts. And so I would say that success would be that, you know, um, that, you know, when, when, an, when people think of the power plant, they think of a vibrant place, they think of a place that's right next door to them and that they come and cross under the gardener and walk through harbor front and open the door of the power plant and feel that they are at home in the space and that people also realize that they have in their backyard something that is relevant to a global conversation and that is right near them, very accessible. And so how do I get them, you know, from when I when I walk down to work and I see a lineup in front of um, the aquarium, and I'm mm-hmm. like, why are they not lining up in front of my museum? Or, you know, if people are... Are, are thinking of going to, to the Blue Jays game. And I'm like, well, we're just down there. Why mm-hmm. are they not, you know, mm-hmm. making us part of that of that journey? And again, I know that even if we're free, it doesn't mean people are going to come. Mm-hmm. And my husband's always saying, okay, I'm sorry, not everybody can like art. And I'm like, <laughs> I understand that, but why not, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's I think that. a little bit of it is ignorance as well. Like everybody doesn't have an art background or artistic background and and you haven't been exposed to it now there is going to be a small percent of people who don't want anything to do with it but i think a lot of it is is just like being ignorant to the information and the experience as well so um that's it's funny because i actually lived down there for a few years i walked those streets like i I know where it's at i've never been inside i Mm -hmm. didn't really know what it was um as i was trying to get my feet and um you know my first couple years here in the city so i guess my question would be We'll we'll talk about later, we'll talk about ways that we can, you know, drive attraction Mm -hmm. and things like that. But I guess I would just have a question of, like, where do you feel it is now? You speak to where you want it to get to, but, like, do you feel like it's not being um, uh, respected or appreciated as much as it should right now? No, I feel the people who love it, love it and support it, right? And and then ask us to do more, which is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Today I was talking to a patron who already gives money, and she's like, "What are the projects you need help from?" Mm-hmm. So to me, that's that's really good. And then throughout the pandemic, our donors, our sponsors, uh, like you know, the people who know, mm-hmm. no. believe, and support. Right. So for me, it's that it's all the other people 
who, you know, um, might feel threatened by contemporary art because many people think that they don't understand. And one thing that I've been working really hard with my staff is that, you know, when curators who are, you know, all have MAs or master's degrees or PhDs, when they write a wall text, if you write in a language that people don't understand, <laughs> then they're going to go, I don't fit there. Mm-hmm. And writing in a language that is understandable doesn't mean that it's dumb. Mm-hmm. It just means, you know, don't use words that actually you don't really know what you're talking, you know, mm-hmm. like think of your public. Yeah. So one thing we've done is we've done a massive um, uh, marketing and strategic plan and we figured out who is, let's say, our our target market. Like if if my strategy is as a free gallery to turn my visitors into donors, one can can know which is the group that, you know, are able. So I understand that, but I'm not only interested in the ones that can be donors, because mm-hmm. I'm also interested in somebody who can who might never be a donor or might be a dollar donor. Like mm-hmm. to me, the sense of community overrides everything, you know? And so of course, I know that marketing dollars are really important. And if you spoke to my treasurer, he would tell you that if I had an extra 100000 the first thing I would do is pay my staff better, then put more money in exhibition, then publication, <laughs> and number four would be marketing. And the reason, it's not because I, I don't value marketing, but because I think that if, if as a gallery we're going to show art that talks about equity, then we have to have equity inside of the organization, you know, as well as outside of it on the walls. So knowing, you know, cost of living and stuff like this, you want, you, I truly believe you can't accomplish anything without a good team. So you have to take care of your team. And since the artists are also part of that team, you need to have the means to support them. So I think I'm at this point where I understand that I need to invest in, in purposeful, marketing mm-hmm. which doesn't mean you know the um it doesn't mean you need to spend millions of dollars cuz you can throw money at things but there's also other ways to get the word out or to yes. and that's the part where i don't know exactly you know between you know social media tiktok blah blah yeah, blah yeah, yeah. like what what feels right for this particular um let's say, institution, which is value, with its nature, and also understanding that it's not every exhibition that we do that everybody will come, you know, yeah. it's, it's yeah, different it's, things. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird because it's art, so you never know how it's going to resonate. But at the same time, I'm hearing the something that we hear a lot, which is when good people are in good places trying to uh, uh, project something that, has value because you know this is the same business model that most people run into they have a good product everybody who tries the product loves the product but they want to take care of everybody who contributes to the product but at the same time they want to broadcast it to the world because common sense would tell you if i got 10 people that love it and everybody loves it i can get 100 people i can get a million people so i think that's the that's the balance that's hard to to walk sometimes especially when you're the one you know, steering the ship. So um, I want to wish you luck on that because it is a conflict of personal um, integrity that you have to walk. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would be interested to hear your thoughts, D, on like something that, you know, we could do or or she could do. Let's just talk 
shop for a second, like ideas on how we could um, improve the marketing strategy without just throwing money at a wall, like effective strategies that could, uh, you know, okay. help get the word out. Other so, than obviously we're here. Somebody's going to hear this. Hopefully a lot of people in Toronto yes. hear this and they go visit the power plant. So if you're listening to this, go visit the power plant. But yeah. But one thing that. I would say is that I do understand now, after what I've said to you, that I need to uh, increase, you know, my my marketing budget. And but to me, it's not just putting money. It's that's why it was important for us to do a strategy. Mm-hmm. And then after the next thing is our website is antiquated, so we want to upgrade that web- website and do it well, so that it also represents who we are. And then it's like, okay, so if if I have money. What do I do first? Like, mm-hmm. so, so the first thing I think about is you have a board of directors. How was your board of directors composed? Was it based on people giving money or was it based on people's access or a combination of both? I would say it's a combination of both. The reason I ask that question, I sit on a board and like when I, I've composed a couple boards, and when I think about boards, I think of I want diversity because I know what I need. And we talked to somebody on a previous show where they talked about they wanted someone who was familiar in a certain area of their business. And so I often think about that, right? So hypothetically, maybe, and, and, and I want to go to the marketing thing. I'm trying to get as much mileage out of relationships as I can. So one of the people I want on there is there's in every city in America or in the world, in North America, they do Sunday morning and Saturday morning news, and they all have arts and you know, some sort of art and travel and food sort of segment. I want that person close to me mm-hmm. because that's your free marketing, mm-hmm. right? That's free. I'm trying to get as much as I can. So I, I, I want to know that person. Who does those segments here in Toronto? That person is going to become an advocate for the power plant. That's one thing I think about. The other thing I think about, I heard you talking about social movements inside art and incorporating it. So... Um, I happen to know a family who has one of the biggest art exhibits that's a social statement in North America. It's called the Kinsley family, Bernard and Shirley Kinsley. You may have heard of it. They have have the foremost collection of historic black art in the world, in the world. Mm. Their exhibit travels around the world. It's pictures of slaves. It's, It's everything that encapsulate people of color's experience. Now, that exhibit is, photo- is photographs, is painting, it's all types of art, right? So I think of somebody like that, and I think this has already got world-renowned attention. So how hard would it be to get that exhibit to, to the power plant, right? Mm-hmm. Because guess what? That exhibit comes with attention already. So now I don't have to spend marketing dollars. I just redirect my marketing dollars to my exhibit dollars and combine those, and maybe I go get something like that. And I don't know what it costs because I I don't look at that. But I really think of how do I pull in artists who already have names because now I have this person who's on the local channels doing art segments on Saturday and Sunday morning. I've got a popular art exhibit. And, and, you know, and, and this is something you have to think about is... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I, I want to get a couple exhibits in my gallery that already have a name Mm-mm. because I think you're, you're trying to do it without a name. It'd be like... Um, if you tried to sell coffee without a name and there's Starbucks next to you, they're going to go to Starbucks or they're going to go to Tim Hortons, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what you want to do is take Tim Hortons and put it inside the power plant, right? Because now they're going to come get <laughs> Tim Horton coffee, right? Because they know that, right? And so just think of that. You know, that's just a couple of things that comes to mind for me. Um, what do you think? Uh, I think for me, being that I've lived here, I think – this is to me as an outsider um, going on my sixth year living in this city. I would say that this is probably the most artistic place that I've been, um, that I've lived and spent a lot of time. Now, I haven't seen much of Europe. I'm not like very world traveled. You know, I love going on vacation, but right. I would say that this is like a very artistic, friendly place. And I'm not, I can't speak to the business side of that, but I would just say that in, in my walks that, you know, it is some, a, a platform, if nothing else, right? Would you agree? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I would say, how do we use that? And I think I go back to the beginning um, when we asked you, what do you need? It sounds like, you know, you just want to get the word out. So I think you, you gave us four things, right? And, and marketing was last. So I don't think marketing has to be first. I don't think you should lose that equity, that inclusion, that, you know, diversity. But maybe if it's second, or third, and I think that marketing is just a huge catchphrase that we use, right? So, the, I, I feel like your thing is one of those things where we have to get the information out. Mm-hmm. We have to educate because when people are educated, when you tell this story of, of these artists and what what it went into, we had uh, Tammy Ucoin, you know, right. explaining like you know the the bigger part is like explaining the artist's story then that piece means so much more, mm-hmm. right? I think if we can educate and inform and include people, I think that would drive more traffic because as somebody who grew up for the, in a place that's not very artistic, that um, is not very informed on art, it can be scary. Mm-hmm. It's a very snobby, upper-class type of uh, perceived mm-hmm. um, class of society because that artist, it is their life's work, and you are supposed to guard that, and you are supposed to be um, protective of that and insecure of that. And how dare you not appreciate this guy's life work or this lady's life work, right? So I think that that can be that can be a little intimidating mm-hmm. for some people, even if it is free. Yeah, well, how, okay, yeah. but what do I do when I go there? Yeah. yeah, yeah. How do I behave? What can like what 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 events like I don't know. It it, it can be. Um, intimidating for someone who doesn't have much experience or knowledge on how to do that. So I think a part of the marketing 
should be focused on information. Mm-hmm. And that's much more uh, efficient and affordable than ads and mm-hmm. sponsor right. and, and sponsor dollar. I think that that's something that could uh, that could that could go a long way. Would be even if it's a spokesperson, uh, you're doing shows like this. If you're going around, I'm sure none of these things we're saying are new to you. No, um, but I think that um, you know it's interesting because um, yesterday I just offered a job of marketing and uh, communication and marketing manager to somebody. And um, what I was thought was really interesting about her in our interview, she said, you know, we need, she amped up her journalism background. She says, art is about telling stories. Mm-hmm. So we need to find those right stories for the right, you know, whether you're doing a TikTok or an Instagram or a Twitter or, or anything, we need those stories to flesh out and then say, what is the story? And then she was also saying, like, she said, you know, you're a thought leader. We need to have, we need people to see you, to hear you, because you become, you're the voice of the institution. And you, you, and then she did talk also, it was interesting. She was talking about, um, you know, I mean, I guess in the marketing, they call it brand ambassadors, you know, mm-hmm. or finding a few people that within their world, they're going to go, this is my power plant and I'm going to talk about it mm. because I care about it and because it speaks to to me, you know. And so I think that what you're saying is 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 actually it makes it makes a lot of, of sense. Um, and um, and I would say is like us doing the homework of figuring out. Um, where and and I do feel that we're at a time where we've got a good base. Mm-hmm. So I totally agree with you that I can no longer say that it's number four. <laughs> right. You know, it's got to be number two. You mm-hmm. know, or in the top three things that I'm doing. And you know, I've been doing my strategic plan for the year, mm-hmm. and you know, it is the the rolling out and the the implementation of our marketing and strategic plan is, you know, part of the three things that I really want us to do this year. Awesome. There's a couple of things I would throw in, right? Like you mentioned Gen Z's and X and whatever's coming after that. You know, one of the biggest movements in the world that's art that people don't talk about enough is sneakers. Mm-hmm. Everybody in the studio has got on a pair of sneakers. Mm-hmm. And sneakers, it used to be that everybody wore suits. Now sneakers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you ever thought about a sneaker exhibit? Mm. And th- there are sneaker exhibits. Like that's a way to because you're you're trying to do marketing yeah. at the same time. Mm-hmm. So what I'm speaking to is your exhibit can become part of your marketing. Mm-hmm. Don't yeah. overlook that. I, right? I, I was. I'm glad you said that. I was gonna. I was gonna ask just you know, um, for your expertise, like somebody in your standard. What is what is we talked about target audience? Like so, what is the thought process um, behind mixing some of these? Um, cultures, right? And and let's leave sports out of it mm-hmm. because I play sports. But like um, like Derek said, art comes in a lot of different ways, right? And this is a, a contemporary art mm-hmm. uh, museum, yeah. right? So wh- has there been thought around music, um, fashion, you know, different things mm-hmm. where maybe we can merge some of these worlds? Mm-hmm. Toronto has probably one of the biggest music scenes in the world right now growing rapidly in the Mm -hmm. last however many years has there been much thought to um merging some of those things whether it's uh music fashion Mm -hmm. um um modeling anything like we've seen um a lot of dope uh uh events and and different um things where 
Well, just like the Met Gala, right? The Met, the Met Gala, right? That's you use like, use the power plant as the backdrop for um, this event, and but you control it, right? Because mm-hmm. you are the gatekeeper. You are, you know, in sole control of of you know how these events go. So there has to be focus on um, information. We have to have these artists in here at this time, and you, you know. You got to pay for it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think that maybe that would be something to think about as well as, as we talk about marketing because traditional marketing now especially is going digital, Instagram, you know, get the word out to all these social channels. But it's still word of mouth. People just mm-hmm. don't. It's very personalized. People don't pay for word of mouth yeah. anymore. True. Yeah. But the best marketing is still word of mouth. You yeah. just Nobody wants to pay for that. Yeah. And what's interesting about what he's saying, I want to back up because, like, I live in Los Angeles, great city. My three favorite cities in the world is London, New York, and uh, Toronto. Mm. Hmm. I love Toronto, and I think of it, like he said, I think of it as fashion capital. I think of it as art, food, culture. Mm -hmm. Like, culture, I mean, all those things are encapsulated, right? So, you know, he mentioned the Met Gala. We know a lot of people who was there over the last couple or the last week or so. Again, it could be a sneaker. It could be sneakers that you create your own gala and you attract people from all over the world mm, because mm, mm, mm. I'm telling you, sneakers is hot, right? But then there's something else I thought about. You guys have the largest festival in the world of people of color. It's called Caravana, right? Mm-hmm. It's the largest in the world. Yeah. How do you use something like that? How do you partner with them to create awareness? Yeah. But I feel that like Caribana is still also trying to figure out itself. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're. I mean, that's my perception, right? Yeah, yeah um, I don't know enough about yeah, it. I just I, know that people it from, had a, from it had the a states. great like reputation, and I don't want to speak ill because I don't know the detail. Mm-hmm. But you know, whether it is the city deciding that they couldn't go down university mm-hmm. oh, as okay. they used mm-hmm. to, you know, right. it's like all of these things. Um, but you know, we have an event that is a fundraising event that um, is called the Powerball. So it's every year in June on the first Thursday of June, and it is like a fundraising event, and we basically transform the entire space with art, mm. food, uh, and fashion. So for a few years, we had Max Mara, who was our, our lead sponsor or presenting sponsor. And then we were working with Holt Renfrew mm-hmm. and then Italy, you know. So, of course, everything is paused because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But um, I like that. It's true that. But for me, that event, which if you look at um, the impressions that it gets, so one of my friends, African-American COI, who lives in London, one year I told him, oh, Power, Powerball was voted like the, the, the top arts party. And then, you know, off of his six foot four or five, he looks at me and he goes, darling, number two made two million. <laughs> Your success is nice, but, you know, 250,000 ain't two million. And then he said, look at what number two two did and does and what is your 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 metric of success so of course number two is about hospitals and mm. you know it's a different cause mm. so I've always told my my manager of major events that the day we can take Powerball from making as a fundraising event right so Powerball as the engine that feeds the power plant mm. if we can take it from making a net revenue of let's say 250,000 to let's say 400,000 through sponsorship through everything you're saying, mm-hmm. that can be that, let's say, that that catalyst, that place in our year where we mesh 
all of these, you know, the sneakers, the music. And I would say that in that, where we, I think that's a really good place to have that type of conversation so that it's like, the power plant has its its artistic program, but then Powerball becomes that connecting part. You put everything together. Right? Because I'm sure there's many people who have never been to the Met, but everybody's heard of heard the of Met it. Gala, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So, of course, we're not, you know, I'm not Anna Wintour, <laughs> <laughs> and we're not Vogue. Um, but how do we, you know, how do we around that special part, which actually the budget for Powerball you know, with sponsorship and donation actually kind of represents the same energy and the same budget that we put in an art season, Mm. right? So there's a correlation with that where, you know, as you're saying, like one of the theme could be like, I don't know, everybody needs to come with incredible sneakers and Mm. there's a wall of sneakers as an installation or Mm. something like that. Although you're not, you don't want to be her. Let's start with that. Um, who Anna? I, oh no no no! no, but no you're not I'm, her. Right? I'm happy to but, be me. But who she is, Verna, is she's she was a, a thought leader, yeah. and you're a thought leader, and and take those thoughts, and that's really where it's going to come from. It's how far your thoughts will go, and when you look at what's out there and how things work, because I think most of the time what we're trying to do is re envision or reimagine how things should be. Right? That's what we're talking about. And I always say it starts with this. This side of the sheet is filled up, right? Mm-hmm. And you're in art. So if, if you take a painting and you paint over it, you're going to keep getting the same art. You can't change it because there's already something on there. So what do you start with? Mm-hmm. A blank sheet of paper. There you go. That's my thought. Awesome. Thanks, Dee. Um, I think that uh, we talked about marketing. Getting the word out, informing more people, educating more people, getting more people to to visit this place. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're in the Toronto area or you frequent the Toronto area or you plan on going to the Toronto area, stop by the power plant. Um, we talked about some ideas that, that maybe we can implement going forward. Um, I do like your thoughts around the power plant, so we need to find a way to, to grow that mm-hmm. or do more of them, right? And then we can do different type of events throughout the years. So Gaetan in the power plant, um, what I see here is we have a, a black woman with a wealth of knowledge and, and expertise in her industry. Um, it's built, you know, for people to showcase their work. Um, it's built for, uh, uh, she's trying to change people's hearts and minds with art. And um, it's a world-renowned gallery that is not getting as much local attention as she would like. So. Uh, obviously we had some ideas for her. I know you spoke to her about having a, a sneaker show, um, different things to get the buzz going. Um, but we definitely tried to stress to her that marketing can't be last on her list if she is focused on, you know, bringing more people into the doors locally. So, um, I think that those are some things that, that could help her. She focused a little bit more on marketing, but obviously, um, she has to balance everything out and and having those expenses sometimes it's hard to see the point of uh putting money into marketing when you have other areas you know that you're trying to worry about or even trying to raise funds right right well i thought what was interesting is she talked about how she could create more awareness and drive more traffic uh, to the power plant locally, you know, um, one is, um, I thought to myself, like, 
you know, I touched on the fact that I thought because she specifically called out Gen X and Gen Z as potential audience and people she wanted to bring to the art world, so to speak. And I and I suggested to her that maybe she think about a sneaker exhibit because, you know, the younger generation, they really love sneakers. It's, it's like the biggest industry right now or one of the biggest industries, I should say. And so what I was recommending to her is do something that's meaningful to that audience. And here's the other thing she should think about, right? If she if she takes TurboTax, you know, listen, she could use TurboTax to help maximize the deductions for the power plant, but also she could use that as a way to sell tickets to an exhibit, right? Because the tickets that she sells for an exhibit are literally tax deductible contributions that every person walking through the door could do. So she could have a sneaker exhibit and talk about tax deductions and the same thing and utilize TurboTax to help, uh, you know, she, she could use TurboTax as a way to help sell that message, right? So um, I think if, you know, I, I would highly suggest to her that she takes TurboTax and incorporates that into her business model, you know, and help use that to help drive traffic and new traffic specifically. Absolutely. I have some ideas. Um, I think I know how to get people to her space, um, especially being here in Toronto um, and having a little bit of influence. Uh, so I have some ideas. I think there's some bet on yourself partnership to be had in the future. Um, we, we thought about it in real time um, with Partial and Tammy and um, Gaetan and Power Plant. It just seems like those two uh, would make perfect sense. Um, so I think just some intros need to be made. We have to connect a few dots. Uh, but I, I'm with you. I think that if she can uh, use TurboTax to find some of those deductions to free up some some cash and um, to to focus on other things, she can she can get that traffic in there that she's looking for and get that brand recognition that she's looking for um, locally here in Toronto. Absolutely. With that being said, I just want to thank you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for sharing your story. We want to thank our guest, Gaetan Werner, for sharing her story with us. Um, she is uh, the director of the Power Plant, which is the biggest contemporary um, art museum um, we're going to say in the world yes. <laughs> until it's not. Um, so thank you for sharing your story with us today. We also want to thank our sponsor, Intuit, and our network partner, ACAST. For the Bet on Yourself podcast, your your host Fred Van Vliet and your co-host D Folk signing up. Out. Cause I got goals to reach If I don't work then I don't eat But I got kids to feed I know the family looking at me to get it Just know I'm with it All the ones who busting you with your actions I can't forgive them Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad High quality fashion without the price tag Say hello to Quince I'm snagging high-end essentials Like cozy cashmere sweaters Sleek leather jackets Fine jewelry And so much more With Quince being 50 to 80% Less than similar brands And they partner with factories That prioritize safe, ethical And responsible manufacturing I love that Luxury quality within reach Go to quince.com slash style To get free shipping And 365 day returns On your next order Quince.com slash style